You know, sometimes when you get asked a question uh, and then you help to answer that question or you know someone who knows the answer and you connect them and then the, the topic that you discuss becomes so helpful, so useful. You kind of wish that, hey, you know what? I wish, I wish more people had access to this because I'm sure if this person benefited from these answers that many others will also benefit from these answers. So this is why this is the first ever group function, okay? So I'm calling this series group function because it's us, you and I working as a group. You guys, the listeners, um, myself, the previous guests of the podcast, the future guests of the podcast, and those on the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group, we're gonna ask questions, we're gonna answer questions, we're gonna share answers, we're gonna try and be, I guess, a fly on the wall when these helpful conversations happen. Welcome to Group Function, where the pro Serati work together to find good solutions to worthy problems in dentistry with your host, Jazz Gulati. So for the first ever Group Function, uh, someone messaged me yesterday with a question. His name's uh, Aaron Raju. Aaron, thanks so much for the question. Uh, and he gave his consent for, for this to be go on an uh, AMA, sort of like an Ask Me Anything. But of course, I'm calling this the group function. So um, what Aaron asked is to do with resin bonded bridges. So uh, AKA Maryland bridges. You know, I don't like that term, but anyway, uh, Maryland bridges and using Maryland bridges as part of the dial technique. Now, if you are totally unfamiliar with the dial technique, you need to end this episode now and go back to episode 16 and 17, where we are joined by Dr. Tiff Qureshi, uh, and we talk everything and anything about dial, about how it works, the mechanisms, the indications, contraindications. So this is a really important background knowledge to have to be able to answer this question. Uh, and resin bonded bridges are something very dear to my heart. Uh, I've got a little mini uh, series online on rbbmasterclass.com. So I placed hundreds of resin bonded bridges I've published on this technique in depth update. So um, Aaron, thanks so much for the question. Basically, I'll, I'll read it out. Dr. Galati, well, firstly, you don't need to call me Dr. Galati. I am Jazz, you know that. Hope you don't mind answering a quick query. Uh, I read your papers and dental update regarding resin bonded bridges. I have a case where a resin bonded bridge is used to replace an upper right five with the upper right six as an abutment with the wing overlying the platal cusps and the platal surface. This was no prep and the plan is to dial to re-establish posterior occlusion long term. I realize there is also a potential to create an anterior open bite as a result of raising the occlusion posteriorly. Have you experienced any kind of potential issues uh, in your experience. Uh, and to avoid this, I was considering a minimal occlusal preparation in the future to leave the palatal and lingual surfaces untouched. Kind regards, Aaron. Aaron, thanks so much for the question. Let me break that question down into its different components so we can answer each one uh, so it's, uh, it'll flow better. So firstly, the situation is we have a resin bonded bridge. It's a cantilever resin bonded bridge. It's from a first molar as the abutment tooth and it's replacing a second premolar. So it's a cantilever design and it's resin bonded. So it's not a conventional bridge, it's a resin bonded bridge. Uh, now, the question is when we overlie onto the occlusal surface, so half of the occlusal, let's call it the palatal half of the occlusal surface. Now, this is a good thing to do generally because you're maximizing the surface surface area that you're covering of the abutment, which is really important uh, for resin bond bridges because innately they don't have much retention form. Uh, they're relying heavily on the, the bonding. So it's, good, it's a good thing to do. And also the other benefit of covering over the half the occlusal surface is if you put any pressure or force down the long axis of the pontic, so the upper right five pontic, okay, you put some forces up the, the tooth as you're chewing some food, okay, then 
forces will be acting on the bridge abutment. And what the occlusal element of the abutment brings is that it allows your cement loot to be in compression. Compared to if you didn't cover the occlusal and you only had the palatal surface, the wing classic used to see this design quite a bit uh, and they were not so successful, is because when the patient now chews and they've got a food bolus on their, on their second premolar and they bite together, now what's happening is that shear stress and tensile forces are acting on that cement loot and then eventually this can debond. But by having the occlusal component, it's allowing it to be in compressive stress, which it can handle much better. So it's always a good thing to do where you can. Now, the issue is if you've got someone with a uh, perfectly well interlocking, interdigitated posterior occlusion, then you don't have space, right? So your options are A, you prep and you prep 0.7 millimeters and you definitely don't want to get into dentine because that really reduces the bond strength, but you should be able to, to do it. But nowadays you want to be minimally invasive. So this is why some people like to use the dial technique, i.e. do not do any prep or very minimal prep and have your technician make the resin bond bridge abutment in supra occlusion. So you, you uh, bond it on, you cement it on, and now when the patient bites together, because you didn't make the space for it, you're open everywhere else. You're not biting anywhere else except on to the abutment of the upper right six. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. So can this technique work? Yes, it can. So I'm just going to, for those who people who are watching, obviously those who are listening, uh, I'll be able to describe it. For those people who are watching, I'm going to uh, put some still images from my Reservoir Bridge online course, uh, and this will help to drive the, the sort of vision home as well, and the explanation will be clearer. Using the dial technique as part of Reservoir Bridge to replace a tooth is something I did a lot of in hospital, both when I worked at Guy's Hospital and at Sheffield Hospital on the restorative department for the young people post-orthodontic around about anywhere from age 15, 16, up to, you know, even their 20s we did this a lot. We didn't prep and we just bonded these resin bridges in super occlusion and uh, they would sort themselves out, okay? Over time, you would get the posterior over eruption or dental alveolar compensation. So this image for those watching is that the teeth are apart, it hasn't settled. But even as quick as four weeks later, they do come back and everything is meeting quite nicely. If not 100%, then maybe 90% of the way there. And then with a further follow-up, teeth are all into occlusion, they're all into static occlusion again, and things are looking pretty good. So how does this work? Well, the posteriors over-erupt or, or dental alveolar compensation happens, there could be some anterior intrusion, and also there could be a degree of condylar repositioning. And all these and any of these things can be happening at the same time. So it does work, but you have to pick your battles. And as now I know, now work in private practice, I tell you, I don't do a lot of this anymore. I'm very, very selective about which cases I do this for. So let's talk about some contraindications. So the real world advice is firstly, all the principles of DAL 
you have to also apply it to doing dal on a resin bond bridge because dal traditionally nowadays when we do it we do some anterior bonding for someone who's got localized anterior tooth wear and then we allow the several teeth contacting at the front only and then allowing dal to work its magic condylar repositioning anterior intrusion posterior eruption and then eventually everything is settled right and this is fairly predictable especially in a, in a younger patient but with with the resin bond bridge unless you're doing like a long span anterior resin bridge, like in the situation that Aaron just spoke about, we're darling of just one tooth, okay? That's pretty extreme, right? So all of the patient's contacts, all the chewing will be on the upper right six, everything else will be open. Is this a good thing to do? Well, uh, I think Aaron told me the patient's about 27. So yes, uh, fairly young uh, and, and that should be fine, but are there any risks? Now, before we come on to the risks, there are some things that uh, apply universally with dial, like for example, avoid dialing anyone with an anterior open bite because, hey, um, if they were receptive or susceptible to anterior overruption and whatnot and, and intrusion, then their own anterior open bite would have sorted itself out already, right, through eruptive forces, but it hasn't. So avoid AOBs, avoid intracapsular disorders with TMJ, uh, do it on people you like and trust because it's kind of something that you may be seeing them over again for if it doesn't go to plan. Uh, avoid severe tooth wear because they probably need a full mouth rehabilitation. Um, as Tiff says, Dahl is very much reserved for interceptive, like when it's not too late, when you can do some edge bonding uh, and you can you can recycle these as you go along. So every eight to 10 years, do it again. And, and really it's a great way to keep someone going. But if they've lost too much tooth structure or if they've got posterior wear, significant posterior wear, that's not a dial patient, that's a rehab patient. Uh, you also wanna avoid it in someone with a reduced periodontium. So imagine this patient that Aaron uh, spoke of, obviously 27, unlikely to have severe perio problems, but if the upper right six was periodontally compromised, then really there's a fine line between doing a dial and, and just putting something at increased risk of occlusal trauma. So you have to be careful with the reduced periodontium. Uh, and of course, um, age is significant. So the younger you are, the, the more predictable it's supposed to be. And, and one more thing uh, that uh, if you ever do a dial, always think about the axial contacts. Like where are the contacts happening? And if the opposing tooth is having the contact along the long axis or not. So you don't want teeth to splay and flare out. You try and want to design everything in your wax up and your planning to allow all the forces go up the long axis of a tooth. So Aaron, let's actually answer your question. Uh, it's totally okay to do this, but I don't do it so much because it's annoying for the patient. And if they've got a perfect, uh, in well interlocked, interdigitated occlusion already, a little bit of prep for them to have a, uh, a new tooth is not the end of the world, okay? Uh, and that you can still stay in enamel for that 0.7 millimeters thickness. And a lot of these cases you have a look and actually in some areas you may need to prep a little bit and other areas may not need to prep so much. So actually a lot of these cases don't need as much as 0.7 millimeters prep. You can actually do a lot less as well. Um, are there any risks of creating an anterior open bite? Well, this is a very broad question because when can an anterior open bite happen in restorative dentistry? Well, in this case, it would happen where if they potentially have a large slide between their MIP and their central relation contact point, then let's say you now uh, prop them open on their upper right first molar as part of the bridge abutment. And then what happens, their lateral pterygoid muscle relaxes and suddenly their mandible goes all the way back. It's like they've completely forgotten how to bite together. And now, yes, they could have an AOB. How can you screen for this? Well, you need to check where is their centric relation contact point position? 
Have they got a large slide? Perhaps you can use a leaf gauge to check what their first point of contact is and, and that might be useful for you. And of course, if they've got a poor posterior stability, then nothing's gonna help them to slot back into their MIP. So these are all the other things that we look at to predict if someone's gonna be high risk. There's loads of other things that go on as well because if anything changes in the temporomandibular joint, then that can obviously change the way that our teeth occlude. So it's, I think it's a low risk of doing it, but it's still a risk nonetheless. And every patient's different and you should screen for this and do your usual occlusal check.